Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Take two. Speaking of ghosts, <laughs> it's shut Hello, us down. Yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Monster Legend Podcast. I'm your host, Tanner. And today we have a special guest. I am happy to introduce Sarah Harris, author of the paranormal thriller House of Madness. How are you doing, awesome. today, Sarah? Hey, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me today, Tanner. I'm very glad you came on the show today. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> How are you today? So, what's up today? What are you doing? Well, um, it's a good, good day. Hot come the summertime. And it is wonderful weather. Yes. It's very hot. I think here in Tennessee, like. Yes. Um, I think here in Tennessee last week, it was like so muggy out. Hot. Sauna. Yeah. I completely understand this same down here in uh, southeast texas we are right outside of but it has made for a good summer of going to galveston island which is one of the most haunted um tell me about galveston island uh, what happened there what's haunted awesome well i go down there to sign um, my book, one of my, my books, it was my very first paranormal thriller, House of Madness. I do book signings down there at the Haunted Mayfield Manor, which is a ghosts and pirates attraction. At least it is now. Back in the days of the great storm of 1900 that decimated the island, it was the morgue. Yes. That, was it an actual morgue or was it a nickname for the place? No, it was an actual morgue. I want to say 12,000 people 
were killed when the great storm of 1900s wiped out most of Galveston Island. This was in the time before hurricanes had names, but it was so massive, it stretched all the way up into Canada. Wow. It just hit the coast and kept going. And they had to find temporary holding facilities for all of the bodies as they would wash up from the ocean. And it was the Buttero building where they would stack bodies upon bodies and try to figure out what to do with them as they try. Intense. Yeah. <laughs> It really is. Um, Galveston has a unique culture on the island that's all its own. And ghosts and hauntings are a big part of that. From restaurant to the haunted attraction where I, you know, am blessed enough to sign my novel. Even to Walmart in the toy aisle. Uh, there are what's uh what sightings have there been in at the island okay uh lots of sightings um some by myself and my family you know personally oh. and walmart walmart is interesting no matter where you are yeah. <laughs> for many reasons but this particular Walmart is built on the site of old St. Mary's Orphanage. All but three people were killed in the storm of 1900. Yeah. They were flung way far out to sea and they were the only survivors. So we've had things fly off the toy aisle behind us as we walk down. Um, I have six children myself and you know, I'll have them in front of me and then things falling off and flying off the shelf behind us is quite interesting, to say the least. Be very startling. Yes, very much so. Um, I think one of my favorite encounters uh, down on the island was in the Tremont Hotel. It's a very old hotel. It was around during the Civil War. It's of a cowboy who will hang out in the saloon portion of the hotel. However, I didn't see that, that particular sighting. Mine was much more strange. It happened in our hotel room. We checked in late, 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 probably six or seven at night. My husband and myself and the kids and then we left, we unpacked, we trashed the room, we made sure we had all of our contacts and toothbrushes and the whole nine yards and just left everything a mess and went out to enjoy the sunset over the ocean. We came back about one o'clock in the morning from digging in the sand and walking in the surf and eating at Joe's Crab Shack to a completely spotless room. Things were packed up and set on the bed. Everything was put back away um, from whence it had come. We did a wonderful job, but why are they cleaning up after us, you know, this late? Well, it wasn't housekeeping. It was a, 
It was a ghostly visitor, which I found very neat. They got to log it in their uh, ghostly encounters book. I told them that I would like to take that ghost home with me because <laughs> if it's going to clean up after me and all of the kids, then it's, it can come. So uh, tell me about this uh, book, House of Madness. Awesome. Yes. Mm -hmm. Moved to Big Spring, Texas. Big Spring um, does have a state hospital, also known as an insane asylum, that is no longer functioning. Um, it was put out of business and they rebuilt another one and modernized it and what have you the house that we were lucky enough to happen into was near the old insane windows the whole nine yards if you can think of a creepy insane asylum this is what this place looked like and our house was built customized by a doctor who worked at the insane asylum, which I thought gave it a neat history until we started making all of the findings. You know, the, in real life, this is what inspired the book. Steel reinforced windows with grommets in the windows that were bigger than the ones I've seen on airplanes. Secret rooms. Um, safe rooms, built-in safes into the wall that nobody could access, secret phone lines that ran out of the house and underground and nobody could figure out why they were there or how to get those in use. Well, as we lived in this creepy old house next to this creepy old, you know, abandoned insane asylum, this book pretty much wrote itself. My ex-husband was in the military, and he brought his own ghosts of war home at that time, which fill the pages of this book as well. But my daughter is the one who takes center stage. She has had ghostly encounters since she was tiny. We were stationed in Italy for a short time, and I found her in the closet talking in French at the age of three. We don't speak French. We're from West Texas. You know, we, yeah. we speak Italian. And I asked her who she was talking to, and she taught, she informed me in English who lives in a, in a closet. And I said, okay, <laughs> I will leave you two to chat. And that's, that was the premise of House of Madness. A family moves in to a a house with memories of its own, with everyone carrying their own baggage with them. That's sounds very, very intense and creepy. What was the most like? Yeah, I slept with the lights on. What was the most um memorable? part living in that house? The most memorable part was the secret doorway 
to get outside. And it was very strange. And the secret door, if you were standing beside it, it was always cold. Even though the, you know, before we even moved in and there was no air conditioning turned on yet, you still had a cold chill that would blow past this door and it opened into a bunch of shrubbery. So there really was no way to get out. I mean, it was overgrown and there was a smell by the door. Um, I guess you could kind of describe it as old spice. It had an old spice feel to it, but it wasn't like anything that I'd ever smelled before. You know, maybe my grandpa's grandpa would have worn something like this. Um, maybe it was a clone of the maid who lived there before. That's my thought. Interesting. Uh, so you're a big historian buff too? Yes. I love history. What got you into, into history? Oh, I've loved history since I was a little bitty girl. Um, probably Larry McMurtry's Lonesome Dove is what did it for me. I never I read that. Watched part of it. Oh, I highly suggest it. <laughs> I need to read it. Speak of books. What's it, uh, what's it about, real quick? Like a quick summary. Um, yeah, certainly. It's a tech Hannah by two retired tech hired, but the world isn't ready to be done with them quite yet. So, uh, on the show, we talk about, uh, are you familiar with um, cryptozoology and cryptids? Yes. Yes. So, on the show, we, uh, in the first season, we're going to every state, and in this episode will be in Ohio. Here's a, found some cryptids from Ohio. Really? Here's a. I found from a book called The Wiser Field Guide to Cryptology, Werewolves, Dragons, Blackfish by Ian Westbud. A businessman traveling through the little town of Loveland, Ohio, at 3.30 a.m. one morning in May 1955, witnessed three humanoid reptilian creatures by the road. Pulled over and watched for a few minutes till one of the beasts started waving something that looked like a horse's eye sparkler around in the air. Businessman said at this point that it was a high time to continue his road trip. He did provide a description approximately three and a half feet tall with leathery skin and webbed hands and feet. Her hands were distinctly frog like with deep bruise instead of hair. Their eyes were bulging and their mouths were wide. Five months later, in August, a woman swimming in the Ohio River near Evansville, Indiana, was attacked by something below the water. They grabbed her and tried to pull her under. She got away, but was covered with long scratches and bruises. There's also an extraordinary greenish handprint on her leg. 17 years later, very early on the morning of March 3rd, 1972, a policeman traveling down an icy road saw a creature dash in front of his vehicle. 
nearly caused him to tra- crash. After Fleefen stopped his vehicle, he saw a frogman in his headlights, going down on two legs, looking at him. After a quick moment, the frogman jumped over the guardrail and, and down to the Ohio River. Your thoughts on that? Oh, goodness. Well, my dad is actually from Indiana. And yeah, <laughs> so when you're saying, you, you're telling me these um, incidences and occurrences, they sound very similar to things that he reported on as a boy. While not frogman, other strange encounters. So I don't see, I don't see why we wouldn't be able to go out and, and locate this cryptid because it sounds like a wonderful adventure in the making. Uh, Mormon's Frogman. Uh, in March of 1972, on two separate occasions, two Ohio policemen saw what become known as the Loveland Frogman. Fortune investigators Ron Schaffner and Richard McNee, who interviewed the officers, investigated the incident. The first incident took place at 1 a.m. on March 3rd, 1972, on a clear cold night. Officer Ray Shockney was en route to Loveland via Riverside Road when he thought he saw a dog beside the roadway. It filled on Twadiwi Road, but then the thing stood up, its eyes illuminated by the car lights. Looked at him for an instant, turned, and leapt over a guardrail. Shotley saw it down at Bateman into the Little Miami River. Described the thing as weighing about 60 pounds, standing about three to four feet tall, and having a textured, leathery skin and a face like a frog or a lizard. Shotley drove to the police station and drove and returned with Officer Mark Matthews to look for evidence of the creature. He turned up straight markings leading down to the side of a small hill near the river. On St. Patrick's Day, March 17, 1972, Officer Matthews was driving outside of Loveland when he had a similar experience seeing an animal lying in the middle of the road. He sought to remove what he thought was a dead crater. Instead, when the officer opened his squeaky Car door, the animal got up in a crouched position like a football player. The creature hobbled to the guardrail and left his like over the fence, keeping an eye on Matthews the whole time. Uh, more of that. Oh, even more of that. Are you are you familiar with the grass man? The Grassman, no. The Grassman, also known as the Ohio Grassman, Kenmore Grassman, or Orange Eyes, is a tall bipedal hominid that stalks the woods of Ohio. It's named Ohio Grassman. It is reportedly very similar to Bigfoot. It seems to be more aggressive than any other Sasquatch species. Grassman gets its name from the small hut-like living structures or nests it builds out of tall grass. The first prominent sighting of the grassman occurred in the small village of Minerva, Ohio, in August of 1978. The grandchildren of Minerva residents Evelyn Howe Clayton, along with their friends, ran side screaming about a hairy monster he saw in a gravel pit outside. When the couple went out to investigate, they saw what the crying children had described. It was covered in dark, matted hair, sitting in the pit, 
and filling was discarded trash. It was estimated to be around 300 pounds. Clayton's fled, but this would not be the last encounter with the Isles Ape Man. Clayton's would see the Grassman many times after their initial encounters. One night, it was seen peering at them through the kitchen window. Howell ran for this gun, but the primate was gone before he returned. The area was later investigated by police, and although there was no sign of the hairy humanoid, several faint footprints were observed in the mud, and a terrible smell lingered in the air. The Ohio Grassman was later seen by the Clayton's top of hill near the strip mines at night. The next month, in broad daylight, the couple observed two hairy bipeds on the same hill. It was only after these reports by the Clayton's were made that a startling connection was made. Days before the gravel pit incident, the Clayton's German Shepherd was found dead, his neck broken, presumably killed by the hairy beast. The Minerva case, along with the infamous Sasquatch, would form the most complex, important Bigfoot investigation in Ohio's history. Even so, the year 1978 was not the first mention of such creatures roaming the Buckeye State. In the 1700s, Indians, natives to Ohio grasslands, spoke of a race of bipedal ape men referred to as the wild ones of the woods that lived nearby. The Native Americans would leave out food for the creature in an effort to keep peace. Again, in the late 1800s, signs of, of similar hairy biped were made by the Iho River. Muhammad had apparently tried to throw a man out of his carriage, but treated it with his daughter, riding as a passenger, threw several stones at it. It is unknown whether these are all grassman signs or probably signs of a similar kind of Bigfoot. And if the latter, how relate? We all know real life can suck sometimes, and your boss accidentally seeing you in your underpants on Zoom last week doesn't help any. That's why reluctantly codependent sisters, the Shira and Rashalia, keep you enthralled and in stitches every week with their podcast, Legendary Africa. Every Monday and Friday, we take you on a journey of mythical lands, magical objects, and monstrous creatures, both ancient and modern. Find Legendary Africa on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you feed your ears. And remember, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. To two or more species are. It's crazy. I don't know, but the kitchen, him peering through the kitchen part freaks me out a lot. Yeah, to have something staring at you from outside your window definitely would be an unnerving sense. What are these um, experiences your dad as a child had? Well, <laughs> um, I really hope he tunes in to listen because he'll appreciate me telling some of his one notable experience was at a house they lived in, in rural Indiana. Behind the property so many years before, and the pilot had been decapitated in the crash. Although he hadn't gone he the ghost of a headless pilot running from flaming wreckage was something that got and when my dad they would see smoke curling from the you know the indiana woods they 
would always come up empty handed unless it happened to be at night when you could catch the glimpse of a, um, a headless gentleman running between the trees. Oh. Yes, um, another instance that he experienced, I should say, was on Crybaby Bridge in Indiana when he would go on to cross the bridge and you could indeed hear not only a baby crying but a young woman wailing as well. The big thing, bridges and, and women lost children. I've realized by doing his research. Yes. Have you come across um, Woman Hollering Creek outside of San Antonio, Texas? Not yet. Any more about it? That one is supposed yeah, that one is not far. We cross it um, anytime that we travel west from our home to go back and visit family. Woman Hollering Creek is apparently the basis of La Llorona, oh, yes. the, the woman who supposedly drowned her children and then immediately regretted it. Bill that says Woman Hollering Creek when you pass over it. Lady in White. I think I want to get to Mexico. I have to do a thing about Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, Charles Mill Lake Monster. In 1959, three young women from Ohio claimed to have had a face-to-face -face encounter with one of the most bizarre creatures ever to emerge from a seaweed-strewn lake bed. An encounter so brief and perplexing that even the most uh, most cryptologists don't know what to make of it, much like its highland counterparts on the flip side of the Atlantic. Ohio proves to be one of the most preferred stomping grounds in the U.S. for more than a few unique species of aquatic-based cryptids. Far and away, the most notorious of these beasts are the small appeal frog-like beads known as the Loveland Frogman. But the Charles Mills Lake Reservoir, located about 100 miles away from Loveland in Mansfield, Ohio, is said to be boast its very own aquatic oddity. Nestled in between Clevis, Cleveland and Columbus, the Mills Lake Reservoir was constructed in 1935 by damming the Black Ford of the Mohican River for his Bowman's catfish population. Uh, the lake is also said to be home of the unique and unsustainable amphibious creature likes of which has only been seen once in a while, unlike any other cryptid ever reported. This odd and harrowing encounter occurred on March 28, 1959, when three teenage buddies, Denny Patterson, Wayne Armstrong, and Michael Lane, claimed to have had a run-in with one of the flat-out weirdest varmints that anyone has ever chronicled, at least in Ohio. The used men testified that they were covering near Ruckles Road near the Chronicles, uh, near the swampy shores of the Charles Mill Reservoir at night when he, they saw a strange seven-foot-tall 
seen rise up from the black water in front of them. The, petr the petrified boys watched in horror as the colossal creature towered above them. Later, they described the beast as being a huge, armless humanoid with luminous green eyes and large webbed feet. Needless to say, the team wasted no time in exiting the scene and were swift to report their unusual encounter. The description of a humanoid creature rising from a murky lake is a very much like eyewitness accounts of the vicious Petus Lake monster, which hailed from Canada in August of 1972. Unlike the quasi-reptilian visage of the Petus Lake monster, this creepy manifestation, which falls somewhere in the murky gray area between the creature from the Black Lagoon, a hairless arm, man, and unknown, seemed quite unlike any other creature ever reported. In fact, this thing is so bizarre that it's more like an emblem of the swamp thing and a frightened early design for Sid and Marty Cross Simon the Sea Monster than a genuine biological entity. When local authorities made their way back to the reservoir to see what the entire hub hubbub was all about, they discovered a series of tracks that resembled the foot gear worn by skin divers along the shore. Despite this apparent confirmation that something with large feet was stalking around the edge of the lake. There are no subsequent reports of the armless beast with only eyes. Esteemed cryptologist Lauren Coleman even chronicled this bizarre aquatic humanoid case in his 1985 book, Curious Encounters, described the being thus. This quote from him. Uh, a green-eyed, seven-foot-tall, seemingly armless humanoid seen late in March 1959 by Michael Lane, Wayne Armstrong, and Dennis Patterson, came out of the lake and left behind tracks that resembled the footgear worn by skin divers. The thing was seen again in 1963, described as luminous and green-eyed. I examined the site of these encounters and testified to Charles Mills Lake Swampy Affinities, certainly a good home for a black lagoon beast. It bears knowing that Charles Mills Lake is allegedly the stopping grounds for another terrifying beast, which also has said to have appeared in eyes. The creature in question is a large hairy humanoid which was said to have been driven out of its sewer tunnel home near a Cleveland's Riverside Cemetery. Whereupon it began stalking in a lover's lane surrounding Charles Mills Lake. The filthy beast, which in many ways, except pigmentation, resembled the legendary Murfreesboro mud monster, was normal for what eyewitnesses claim were its glowing orange eyes, hence its designation as orange eyes. It goes without saying that the legend of the Charles Mills Lake monster and orange eyes has been intertwined somewhat over the years. A fact which is understandable considering they are both huge, deadly humanoid beasts that bear self-illuminating eyes and intensively shared in the same habitat. Nevertheless, the distinctions between the creatures are clear. The Mills Lake monster is an armless, hairless, ostensibly amphibious green-eyed monster with big webbed feet. With, while orange eyes is more akin to the prototypical Bigfoot in that in a large, hairy, ape-like creature with two arms and orange eyes. Many have rightfully pointed out that its so-called glowing eyes seen on these creatures may well be mere reflections caused by flashlights or headlight beams. These reflections can change color depending on the angle and source light. In the fascinating case of the as-yet-unclassified creature known as the Dover Demon, observer who described tiny, hairless, melon-headed creature claimed that its eyes were all, also were luminescent and shining multiple colors, depending on where and under what lightning conditions it was seen. 
There have been no confirmed reports of Charles Mills Lake Monster since 1959, although many, including Coleman, credit with that as a parent ape-like orange eyes encounter from 1963. However, every now and again, folks from the region still claim to discover strange tracks that resemble huge web feet near the boggy coast of the reservoir. Wow. Wow. And the fact that they can still find stuff today is quite interesting. Oh, uh, I want to ask, how's it, like, what's the feeling you get when you, like, when you're, your, um, home you were in at the House of Madness based on? Mm-hmm. Was it, was it haunted, you would say? That house definitely had memories of its own, whether it was haunted by a quote, you know, ghost. I, I don't know. The house just seemed to have its own personality. It's weird about places like places have like a, like a memory to them. Yes. Definitely. Um, one ghostly incident that scared me like the hotel Tremont incident that didn't scare me I was grateful I was grateful that something came in and cleaned up so that I didn't have to I wasn't scared however um, we lived in Vicenza Italy in a little villa on the side of a mountain in a tiny little town called Arcuniano between my ex-husband and myself we had one car as a military family in Italy, that's not uncommon. And he was on 24 hour duty at his base, which was about a 30, 45 minute drive away. He had the car. First of the three doors start to open. Um, There were three doors in this little villa. The outside was a wrought iron door. The inside was a glass storm door, and the innermost door was a very thick, old wooden door that scraped across the flagstone tile of the floor. Well, I heard the key in the metal start to clink and click, and I walked outside, you know, of my bedroom, and I thought, is my husband coming home in the middle of the night? And I stood there in the dark and listened, that door creaked open the key in the glass door turned and turned that door opened and then the big wooden door slid across the flagstone floor and boots came clunking in across that floor and i yelled out his name and said hey wish you'd called you know kind of creeping me out and the footsteps stopped nothing happened i hit the light and turned it on and there was nothing there and the doors were were still closed and locked despite my having heard them open needless to say i grabbed up my little italian cell phone and called him at at his work phone number and he answered the phone that he was assigned to answer you know all night long I believe they call it staff duty when he was manning the phones. And 
I had quite the scare. Very terrifying. Yes, that was a scary time. That was, that was a time that still gives me chills to remember. Because not only, you know, was it scary to think that something came into your house, but there was nowhere to get away. I had two young children with me asleep and my two little babies, you know, and so we couldn't just go running down a mountain in the middle of the night in a country where we didn't speak the language very well with no help, no transportation, no nothing. It's a lot of history, Natalie. Yes. Yes. Especially uh, in the early 20th century. A lot of stuff, a lot of bad things happened. Yes, it's quite beautiful, but so historic. I ever um, stop by you, like, what's your favorite part of Italy? Um, well, we only were able to be in Northern Italy. Um, we didn't get the opportunity to go down um, into Southern Italy to Rome or anything like, like that. But of course, being a writer, I absolutely loved Fair Verona. It was raining and overcast and dark and dreary when we got to go and visit, you know, Juliet's house and take the tours that we needed to take to see all the Shakespearean history. But it was just very humbling to be there. What was it like being somewhere where you were familiar, as familiar with the primary language? Yeah, we tried to... Um, become versed in Italian, at least at a conversational level. Yeah. Uh, my two babies did wonderful. They picked up the language like little sponges. Me, on the other hand, uh, I write better than I talk. <laughs> and that is in any language. However, we did adopt two puppies and I still have them to this day. They're little Italian greyhound and border collie mixes. Oh. Romeo and Rosie Juliet. Oh, which one's, oh. Into dogs, which one's the more, um, rascal, more of a rascal? That would be, um, Romeo, definitely. He's like a toddler, he's, 13 years old now, and we adopted him from the Canile, or the Italian Pound, in, um, in Vicenza. They were very hesitant to adopt to an American military. People who aren't true animal lovers may adopt a dog, and then instead of taking the necessary steps to take the dog with you to your next duty station, you know, whether it's in another part of Europe or back in the United States or wherever, a lot of people will dump the dogs. Oh. Yeah, but we, of course, are not those people. And Romeo is still a toddler at 13 years old. 
Goofy, he likes to dance on his hind legs, while Rosie is more of a little human. It's like, go and conquer the world. Give her an opposable thumb and <laughs> she can... Very smart, very smart dog. Romeo sounds like my dog, Apollo. Yeah. <laughs> is he goofy? He's a freaking, he's a giant puppy. Yep. What kind of, of dog is he? Uh, he's a pit bull. Oh, goodness. Or he can be. Oh, and all personality, I bet. Yeah. He loves cookies. Kind of amazing to think. How loves cookies? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Um, I think one of my favorite facts about pit bulls is how in the 19th century, they were used as nannies mm. for, for the children of wealthy families. So they were nanny dogs. And I can definitely see that in the pities that I've had over the years. Very sweet dogs. Yes. Love their humans and their cookies. Yes. The Something called the Crosswick Monster. Crosswick, Ohio, Ohio, a small unincorporated community in Warren County, isn't really known as for much. The unofficial border sits right alongside Waynesville. Its current population isn't recorded, and only one road passes through it. But for everything the small community doesn't have, it makes up for one thing its recorded monster attack. Established in 1821 by James Jennings, the monsters wouldn't make itself officially known at the residents of Crosswick until May of 1882. While many large unknown tracks had occasionally been found throughout the area, most often crossing over dirt road that ran through the community, nobody ever thought to find it out what was making them. Most reports chalked this up to fear held by the residents and the belief that this is, if they didn't bother whatever creature was leaving them, it wouldn't bother them. But that way of thinking, as residents would soon find out, it's all about to change. While out fishing in Satherwaite Run, a stream that run passes through Crosswick, two boys by the name of Ed and Joe Lynch, ages 13 and 11, began hearing loud, unknown sounds emanating from the tall grass behind them. Curious as to what the cause could be, the boys began to approach the area. Before they could investigate, though, a gigantic lizard burst through the brush and ran towards them on his four thick legs. Therefore, the boys began to scream and ran back towards their home. The creature, though proving too much for terror, caught Ed in its mouth and pulled him down to the ground. Joe began to scream louder as he watched a terrifying reptile drag his brother along the stream edge towards a large piled sycamore tree, which is apparently used as a den. Uh, eventually, the screams of the boys were heard by three men in the area came rushing to their aid. The man, Reverend Jacob Horn, George Peterson, and Alan Jordan, arrived at the scene to find their dead, their near dead boy still in the creature's mouth, almost completely pulled into the tree. Upon seeing this, the men raced over the tree and retrieved Ed. After being dropped by the creature, Corey climbed farther up its hollowed home out and out of reach. After summoning the nearest doctor in Waynesville, Look after the boy, a man by the name of Dr. L.C. Lukens. Three men rounded up a group of more than 60 residents to destroy the beast. Armed with axes, clubs, and well-trained hunting dogs, the groups marched towards the tree. 
Soon after arriving, the men started to chop at the tree with their axes in order to get the creature out. The dogs growling and barking at the creatures they knew was within the they knew was within the man actually waited for the beast to show itself. Thinking the creature was trying to escape from the large hole at the bottom of the tree, the group was taken by surprise when the reptile leapt towards the ground from a hole at the top. Upon hitting the ground, the creature stood upright on its hind legs, balanced itself from its tail, and awkwardly took away from the group. Some members of the group, obviously shocked and frightened by the appearance of the beast, drove out of the way and allowed the creature to make its escape. Others, not quick to be scared, chased after the monster without a second thought. The group chased the beast for nearly a mile over fences, through streams, up hills, and around trees. Eventually, though, the creature managed to escape its pursuers by charging headfirst into a hole surrounded by large rocks on the hillside. Members of the group, along with their dogs, surrounded the entrance to the hole and waited for the creature to once again emerge. Believing this was the only way in and out of the hole, the men kept watch, but it appeared as if there were another unknown exit from the hole. The creature never emerged and was never seen in the area again. Crossbeck monster was described as being roughly 12 feet long and covered with scales. It was black and white in color with dull yellow spots. It had feet roughly 12 inches long, a wide head, and a long forked tongue. Because of the description, many researchers believe that the crossbeck monster is more than likely an out of place monitor lizard. Possibly cans include the Australian Brante, Asian water monitor, the New Guinea crocodile monitor. Or the Komodo dragon. Although species found, found in Crossbeak would be far larger than those on record, as the monitors above are only known to grow to about 8 to 10 feet, even though links are rare and inconsistent throughout the species. Lizard man. Oh, goodness. Um, and it said. It took him and then pulled him up the tree. Is that, did I understand that right? Yeah, like it uh, took the boy and it dragged him to a hollowed out sycamore tree. Let's see. Is that near the same place as the Peninsula Python? Might be. I wonder if those two could be related. I worked for the park service during my younger days and my pre-kid days in the resident mountain lion population across the state park in New Mexico. And when you mentioned that about the young man being attacked and dragged up a tree, it reminded me of how mountain lions store their prey. And to have someone pulled up a tree definitely reminded me of wild animal. So that's why I wondered about your, your resident Python as well. Your legendary peninsula Python. Uh, speaking of the peninsula Python, it's a giant snake of Northeastern Ohio length is about 15, 19 feet. Dark with brown spot watches climb trees, 
Rears up like a Cobra, ready 10 houses, tracks width of an automobile tire. Big snake. Uh, Clarence Mitchell saw an 18-foot snake crawling across his cornfield near Plinsa, Idaho, for on June 8th, 1944. After several days of effort, a posse had been formed on June 25th, failed to find any evidence other than broken branches and trails leading to Quayogo River. Reports of the large snakes were made through August 1st, but other residents of the valley, including Pauline Hopko, who said it slithered away from a willow tree in her yard to frighten her cows so much that it broke loose and ran away. Oh my. Uh, I was thinking it's probably a snake that, an escaped snake from a carnival truck that supposedly crashed an area around 1934. <laughs> How do you feel about snakes? I'm not... I love snakes. love snakes. Yes. During the time that I worked at the park service, um, helping track the mountain lion population, it was also my job to um, capture and relocate rattlesnakes that had gotten too close to humans for either one of their safety, the human or the snake. And those snakes out in Eastern New Mexico can get to be quite large the blacktail rattlesnake, the diamondback rattlesnake, and a hundred percent of them just want to be left alone and be warm, of course. <laughs> Do uh, different rattlesnake species have different temperaments? Yes, yes. Um, our big shy, every single one I've encountered, and I've encountered many they want to be left alone. If they're near you, it's and they need that warmth to keep them warm during, you know, during the night when they're out to hunt and what have you. And all of them have wanted to flee rather than fight. So the only time was by a copperhead, which, while it's not a rattlesnake, it is a venomous snake, and we were too close to its nest, and then it stared us down, and we left. Never a python, though. Never encountered a, a wild python. Uh, I have a pet python. Do you really? Yeah. How big is he? Oh, she's getting pretty big, about four feet, three feet. Awesome. She's she about there. I need a boyfriend or something. <laughs> Can you imagine if she would be, you know, 20 feet long, like no. the peninsula python? Yeah. Is she too big. I don't want to put her. She'd be a little intimidating then. Yeah. Do you think it'd be intimidating enough to make a cow run away? Like in yeah. our. I think so. Cows are pretty skittish. Yeah. <laughs> I was on my night. Or like. Special appears out of nowhere. I don't know if you've ever been cow tipping. Something. <laughs> I've never been cow tipping. 
it's always a, always a, a like monster. And Ohio, oh, yeah. there, uh, in Ohio, there's the lake is Bessie. Really, kind of like Nessie, but only Bessie. Yeah. Very clever. Yeah. What is her story? Uh, lake Erie is a sol solace of the five great lakes. It contains one of the least known lake monsters in the world. Unless you grew up on the shores of Lake Erie, like I did, I doubt you heard much of anything about Bessie. She is said to be a snake-like creature, 30 to 40 feet in length, approximately a foot in diameter, and gray-blue in color. Bessie is most often seen in the Western Basin, was first witnessed in 1817. There are many skeptics around the believer that Bessie is large lake sturgeon, which are commonplace in Lake Erie. Surgeon can reach sizes of 20 feet in length and over 300 pounds. Big fish. Wow. That's a really big fish. Wow. Right? What does it cost? Like, I don't know. Like a, like a one pound tilapia is like, I don't know, five bucks. <laughs> it makes you wonder um, what kind of line would you need to cast out to reel in something that big? Giant rope and a giant hook. <laughs> right. Have you seen the fishing show Chasing Monsters? Uh, no, I haven't watched much of TV lately. I watch TV in like forever, like cable TV. I want to say that this is on Netflix, and he goes out to catch the biggest of the big creatures sometimes even legendary creatures all around the world. And this might be one that he would need to feature on his show if he could come and try to track down Bessie, our American version of Nessie. For sure. Did you say you grew up on Lake Erie Shores? Oh, no. I grew up in most of my life in Tennessee. Oh, okay. Okay. Many believers refute this, saying that it's, what they saw was much larger than a sturgeon and looked like a sea serpent. There have been many signs of Bessie over the last few decades, with some more sinister attacks occurring in the 1990s. Listen to some of the signs of Bessie. In 1960, Ken Golick was fishing off a pier in Sandusky when he heard two rats. He decided to throw a couple of rocks at them when he saw the creature. He said it was a scar shaped and came out of the water about 1 to 11. One one and a half feet is about 11 p.m. on a clear, calm night. In 1969, Jim Slyner stated the serpent came within six feet of him near South Bass Island. But I did not see the length. The width was about two feet. Animal appeared to be about one foot under the water. In 1981, Teresa Kovac Aircron saw a snake-like reptile that was so large that it could easily capsize a boat. It seemed to be playing. She watched it from a house on a Cedar Point causeway. In approximately 1983, Mary M. Landol told John Schneifer about her encounter with Bessie off Rye Beach in Huron. Mary went out to her front porch just before dawn when the lake was quite placid. From the left end, she heard a rowing sound and saw what looked like a capsized boat. It was a greenish brown color, about 40 
50 feet in length. I know realized that it wasn't a boat, but an animal of some sort. It had a long neck and eye invisible on the side of his head with a grim growing up one side. The creature appeared to be playing in the water, but still put a scare into the witness. In the summer of 1985, Tony Schill of Avon, Ohio, was boating with friends north of Million. When they reported the serpent, it was dark brown and had a flat tail. Tony stated that five humps came out of the water. No way it was a sturgeon. Dale Monroe of Meringue was also boating. We came face to face with it. He said that it had three humps and was black. He also reported that it was twice the size of his 16-foot boat. Location was seen was the calm waters just off the Lorraine Coast Guard Station. And his sighting lasted three to four minutes. Wow. In May of June or uh, May or June of 1989, Gail Gassner paints a graph from a boat owned by Ken Smith of Streetsboro. The fish finder appears to show a sonar reading of a cigar-shaped apparition about 35 in feet in length and a depth about 30 feet. On July 8, 1990, Susan Season of Salem witnessed the creature two miles from Cedar Point. Her, her description basically matched other reports. On March, on September 3, 1990, Bob Sorocco, I said it wrong, uh, was jet skiing off Port Clinton when he, he thought he spotted a porpoise. Porpoise in freshwater? Oh, well. I'll have just moved from Florida. He told reporters that he saw humps with gray spots. It was very long as I moved closer and it was going down. Uh, September 4th, 1990, Harold Bricker and his family were fishing north of Cedar Point Amusement Park when a serpent-type monster swam by their boat about a thousand feet away. Their description was a 35 feet long with a snake-like head. It moved as fast as their boat. Later, the frigates were assigned to the ODNR Rangers at East Harbor State Park. On September 11, 1990, fire inspectors Jim Johnson and Steve Jerks of Huron saw the creature from a third-story window facing Lake Erie. Describe it as a dark blue or black, about 30 to 45 feet long. He further stated that he saw three parts of the creature above water. It lay there motionless for the next three to six minutes and was flat on top. The week of September 16, 1991, Dennis Sinsinski of Toledo saw Bessie near Toledo's water intake structure three miles offshore in Maumee Bay. He was fishing in the bay when something long and black was there in front of him. Of course, man. Wow. That's a lot. Maybe it's just, maybe it's the same the Pencil of Python. Yeah. Hey, you never know. It definitely could be. There's no telling what our waters hide. Fishing. Do you join fishing? I'm no good at it. <laughs> One of my children actually is a certified Texas angler with a little license and everything. So he's very good. 
but me, not so much. Oh, I remember fishing as a little kid and always getting the hook caught in a tree. That's casting. Yeah. That's me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> me too. Me too. And then if, if you catch a hook, probably hurts. And then I just feel guilty. Too guilty to enjoy it. Um, I have a silly question. Is there, is it an Ohio monster that is the supposed Mothman? Uh, I've heard about this. Yeah. yeah, there have been some reported sightings in Ohio of the Mothman, but uh, I think he comes from like West Virginia, Point Pleasant, I think. Oh, okay. Okay, I remember going to see that movie and it was disturbing. I had it as a, had a VCR, but I didn't watch it again. Have you ever, did you ever read the book? Yeah. What was it? I never read it. How was the book? Which one? The the Mothman Prophecies? The Mothman Prophecies? I have not read that book. I have not. Um, I did. I was a bad author, and I went and saw the movie, but I didn't read the book first. But the movie was chilling. Very scary. Yes. Especially the part with the candy. On the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I have a 13-year-old son who's very, very interested in monsters and legends. His most notable interest right now is something called the Goat Man. Goat Man. Are you familiar with that one at all? Uh, yes, it's a... Uh humanoid goat thing like think of like a, a cedar or like a from like Greek mythology but he's a here's an axe kind of murder likes to murder people very yeah. been very uh, very gruesome very gruesome this legends about him Is like people on this bridge. Yes. So he's also known as like the Pope Lick Monster. Is that right? Yeah. In Tennessee? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, that's what captivates my oldest son right now, the goat man. And he wants to know why the goat man would be so murderously angry if it's because of what happened to him or just because he's neither fully goat nor fully man uh, i don't know i think i don't know why i never spoke to goat man but i assume it's uh because it, it's the like the old billy goat on the bridge cop story yeah, just a bad attitude, huh? 
Yeah. Bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had never put two and two together with, you know, a part goat on this railroad bridge with the three billy goat scraps. And there are bridge issues. Yeah, there's been some people getting hurt because they were trying to get on that bridge and find Billy the goat man and get hit by cars and trains and stuff. And no bueno. Yeah, that's no good. That's no good. If you're going to go monster hunting and legend hunting, be careful. You want to be sure to come out alive. Sure. Nice and safe. Tell everyone about it. Uh, speaking of the gold man, I remember the story of how, like, kidnapped, either took someone, a kid, and, like, yes. chopped his head Lived off. Lived to hunt every day. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I, guess, I think they found him in a tree or something. Boy. Oh, no. Yeah. I think this was in somewhere. More North. bodies and trees. Yeah. Well, speaking of, speaking of trees, did you ever, did you watch some, that one Netflix movie that came out recently? So, right? About that tree creature in Switzerland? What's it called? No. Yeah. Ritual. creepy and what was the name of it the ritual you know what i think my husband does have that on our list to watch it does look creepy um but i'm a big fat wimp and i'm too scared to watch some of this stuff i'll ride it but then i can sleep with the lights on but i'm still pretty wimpy when it comes down to it uh, me too, honestly. I'm very, very skittish. Yeah, I'm definitely skittish. <laughs> have a watch scary movies and have a blanket too much in. Uh, I don't know about you, but yep. like, like I, uh, I have a bed. Because like, you oh. know the monsters. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> blanket right <laughs> uh-huh uh i have a, a bed it's like a raise up <laughs> well, raise i'm not the only one yeah i have yep. a bed and uh it's raised above the ground you know and i'm sitting on the bed and like just uh-huh. and um I still get freaked. I don't know why, but I'm, 
oh, I'm close to 30 now. I still get freaked out. I'm like, my feet are dangling over bed. Like someone's going to grab me <laughs> from my feet from over yep. bed. <laughs> Where those monsters are just, they can just get under there. <laughs> Sorry from that uh, movie. Got the clown under the bed. Yeah. Yeah. I can't do clowns. Those those are my kryptonite. Clowns are creepy. I don't like clowns. Yeah, they just they scare me. I went to see the new it with my husband and my daughter because I love them and that's the only reason. <laughs> I was scared the whole time. I was, uh, I'm looking at your, uh, what's it called? your books, man. You write a lot of books. You're doing a lot. I do. Adult ADHD, I guess. <laughs> yeah. What's been your favorite book to write? I love to tell stories. Um, you know, I actually, I have that question a lot and usually Art. my favorite book to write is the one that I'm working on now. It's always the one that's forthcoming, whether that was book two in my Everlasting Heart series back, you know, in 2012 or now the, where I'm working on a Dracula book that's it's always the one that I'm working on. The forthcoming work is always my favorite. And I actually just had a release today. Um, of It's a book. I haven't got the chance to put it on my website yet, but it is called As It Pleases the King. And it's set during um, the waning days of Henry VIII in Tudor, England. One of my favorite times in history. Talk about bloody. Bloody, yeah, very, very backstabby. Yes. Yeah, those people lived a life that we can only imagine what it was like day to day. Do you have a favorite time in history? Um. Probably around there, in Tudor, Tudor time or Victorian England. Awesome. You might enjoy that book. Well, you might the, enjoy. Have you ever seen the Tudors? I love it. Love it too. It's good. I, I love it. I tried to get into rain after that just to try to cure the Tudor thirst. You know, it left you wanting more. Um, because Henry VIII's legacy certainly didn't end with his death. You know, his daughters took it over. But I tried to get into rain, and it seemed promising at first, but I just, I couldn't follow it like I could tutors. Same. Did you like rain? Uh, back? Did you get a chance to see it? Uh, I never got a chance to see it. Yeah. And I've gotten to it like tutors. Yeah, that was that was me as well. It felt more like a high school movie with high oh. school characters and 
the drama than the Henry VIII worldly, you know, all the issues that he dealt with, that kind of drama. Uh, if I remember correct, was Henry VIII the father of Queen Victoria? Not Queen, the, no, Queen Elizabeth? Yes. Yes. Ooh. Queen Elizabeth I and Bloody Mary Tudor. Ooh, Bloody Mary. Yep. Whenever I go speak at you know, various schools, middle schools, junior highs, elementaries, and if we get into the history portion of my books, I'll ask, okay, who's heard of, like, and they raise their hands. Yeah, she lives and she doesn't have a dad. That's when we get in, in the modern fear that goes with that and why she was called Bloody Mary. And I love to make that into a mini lesson. I guess that's just the inner teacher coming out. Uh, I want to go to, wasn't, did she like get locked up in a tower or, or something? I remember um Mary, bloody mary yeah well she took the throne after the whole lady jane gray drama yeah. and decided to bring hooter england back to the true faith the true catholic faith and of course doesn't believe like her so she's burning all of these protestants and that's how she actually came to have her name and she wound up dying of uterine cancer, I believe was the common, the common um, diagnosis. Many false pregnancies, which could have been symptomatic all along. Then we come into the golden age with her sister when her sister takes over. Experian. Times. Yes, I, I would like to go to England and see all of these places that have all of the people that I admire, read about, study, fear, and actually walk where they walked. That would be so humbling. It would be. I love to go to like theaters and his artwork and very cool very yeah okay very humbling yes apparently um henry the eighth's the girl that started it all you know anne boleyn apparently her ghost still wanders around the castle grounds there where she was imprisoned in the Tower of London, and then subsequently executed. Yeah, so that's who I was thinking of. That would be what I would, that would be neat to see. Apparently people, to see her ghost is no big deal because it's so commonplace. So to go see that would be, I guess for lack of a better word, cool. It'd be cool. I love to like, I wonder if you can talk, if the ghost can talk. I like to talk to her. 
Right. That, that would be interesting. And I'd also like to know if she has her head while she's out walking around. Unlike the ghost on my dad's land so long ago, the one who'd been decapitated in the plane crash, he oh. didn't have a head. His ghost was seen headless. Um, I'd like to know if Anne Boleyn, after, since she was, you know, pushed from this life into the afterlife with no head, if she has one in spirit form. Well, I'd like to. I'd like to think she would. I'll see why I not. <laughs> Be worth flight over the pond, right? I'd like to see that too. That would be, it'd be worth the trip. That's for sure. And Henry the eighth was big boy. Yeah, apparently in his older days, um, I want to say that in all of the medical drama that's gone on, you know, since his death, everybody wants to see what all that man had going on. Apparently, in his younger days, he was quite gorgeous, fit, yeah. handsome, over six feet tall, and then all of the years of gluttony took their toll, and what probably sounds to me like type 2 diabetes yeah. definitely took over. We'll be at this for... Almost two hours. About uh, two oh no! It looks like I am receiving a phone call. Okay. Now. Sorry about that. No problem. Uh, uh, we managed for good, good while. Say. Uh, what's it like writing a, like, what's it like, like, when you start a book, like, what inspires you? A lot of history inspires me, as well as whatever's going on in life at the time. For instance, when I wrote my children's picture books, that was about the time I was reading many picture books to my own babies. Oh, goodness. Can I put you on hold one second? Yeah. Okay, thank you. I'll be right back. No problem. Well. So we got anything um coming up today or uh up soon? Any events or anything? Um, any events? I will be a panelist here in July with another Amish author. And Macmillan Publishers, through Katie Budget Books, our local independent bookstore. I'm very excited about that. That will be a, a virtual event as well. So I think that before our world gets back to the normal that we knew, we're going to have to go through some more changes first in finding what a new normal really is. Very true. I seen like this morning World War Three was trending on Twitter. I was like, oh no. How, how's oh, it been? Great. Yeah, I don't know where I 
Yeah, we, we don't need that drama. <laughs> I was growling at something. Uh, I feel like being on a panel. Um, it's a lot of fun, actually, uh, to take the different questions with another person who knows a lot about what you know a lot about, yeah. um, which it would be Amish culture and writing about that um, and interweaving romance with that. Um, I have two Amish romance series is going on right now with two different publishers. And yesterday I was fortunate enough to be able to pick out some cover art for the second book in a series that I have coming from Vinspire Publishing. Thank you. Thank you. It's getting to be lunchtime. Yeah. Here I mean, too as well. Well, um, I am kind of hungry. <laughs> um, I mean, one o'clock. Yeah, we've been at this for a bit, a minute, hot minute. For a hot minute. Yes. Where can people well, find you? People can find me at sarahharrisbooks.com. Nice. And that's S-A-R-A-H-A-R-R-I-S-B-O-O-K-S.com. I'm active on Twitter, mostly on Instagram, and I have Facebook presence as well. Nice. Plus I'll, a bunch of Pinterest boards. I will uh, copy and paste your contact your social media stuff to this uh, episode description. Awesome. I appreciate it. Uh, who designed your website? It's very, it's I very, did. we did. It's really done. It's really done really well. Thank you so much. I designed my website and my husband is a master plumber who owns his own plumbing business. And I did his as well. Uh, I might need his uh, services because <laughs> Sometimes my kitchen sink leaks. I tell you, we would look for any excuse to have a beautiful. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm I sure, appreciate you. I'm sure you're hungry for lunch as I am. You got your, all your muskins to feed as well. <laughs> Yes. Um, well, everyone's gone on their summer vacations. So we have a relatively quiet house, as quiet as a house with four silly dogs can be. Yes. Well, Tanner, thank you so much for having me. I, oh, thank you so much for being a guest. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Maybe we'll see you again. Hopefully. Yes, when sir. No one Good one. You too. Bye-bye. Well, now that you know Where you never should roam Sleep safely But keep one eye open In case they still follow you home
thank you for listening to this episode of Monster Legend Podcast. Or to find more information about Monster Legend Podcast, go to monsterlegendpodcast.com or anchor.fm forward slash monsterlegendpodcast. There you can find all episodes and platforms on which the podcast is on, which you can describe, subscribe to. You also can email me with questions that will be answered on the show. Thank you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.